If he can pick in your confidence away, pull your confidence away of being a child of God, then you begin to think that you are on the outside looking in, that if God really loved me, then God would do this for me, or God would do that for me, or God would help me in this, or God would help me in that. It's so great to be back in the house of God together. For those of you that are joining us online, thank you for being here today. Thank you for being a part of this. Our real hope and prayer is that you will experience the presence of the Lord there where you are, just like we have here and we will here. So excited about being here with you today. Uh, I have a wonderful guest that I have asked to come give us a greeting and just share a few minutes. Uh, we belong to a movement, a family of churches that extends across the globe on every continent. Uh, C3 Churches and Ministries Global is, uh, uh, one, our founder is Phil and Christine Pringle, but uh, our next, my guest here today uh, was one, the couple that actually moved with them to start the church. Simon McIntyre is here today, and Simon uh, was born and raised in New Zealand, got saved there, met Phil and Chris Pringle, and he and his wife, Helen, uh, came with Phil and Chris to Sydney, Australia, and they planted the first C3 church in 1980. Is that right? 1980. And so uh, today that uh, one church has morphed into 600 plus churches all over the globe. It's the family of churches that we belong to. Uh, Pastor Simon is one of the global overseers and uh, regional directors, and so it's so great to have him here. He's a great friend of mine. Pastor Simon, won't you come and share with Thank us this you. morning? Give him a big, big Dallas welcome. Thank you. Thank, oh, please, please. That's a very nice of th three of you. <laughs> I didn't see Mr. Sherman stand up, did you? He gets his back. Oh, he's got a, a back, back problem. problem. Oh, he's, he's full of excuses. <laughs> Stand up and honour me, old man. <laughs> um, look, we've just been at the new building. Oh, oh, look. Look at that, he's overcome. Yeah. See what happens when you stand up, you get healed. <laughs> Go figure. Um, we've just been at the, uh, is it the Highland Park? Yeah. Campus, what a glorious building. Congratulations. I presume you've all been and seen it. It's fantastic. And um, what's particularly wonderful is they've maintained the, integri the integrity of the way of the old building. So it's a bit echoey, um, and so the music has to be a little bit different, but it was wonderful. And uh, I was delighted to be there. I've seen the actual premises over the week, so I loved it. Um, <clears throat> so I've been here for about three, uh, about five days, uh, meeting various C3 pastors in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I've spent the last three days with your pastor, Joe and Nancy. I've been staying at their house. I love houses, I sleep better, hate hotels, been to too many of them. But um, it's been a wonderful time, I've absolutely loved being here. Yeah, um, Joe and Nancy are very dear to me. They're magnificent people, great Christians, and, and you know what, they're true friends. This man and I could not be more alike. No, no, sorry, we couldn't be more unalike. Yeah, and yet there's this magnificent bond called Jesus that genuinely and wonderfully transcends cultures, transcends ages, I'm so much older than him, transcends everything. And we forget that some don't, you know, we forget that. So, however, I don't wanna take time. Up on the screen behind me, you'll see a QR code. I'm inviting you, very warm welcome, if you are able to make it to Singapore this year to our international conference. Singapore is just down the road, it's not very far away. 
It's a, just for those who might be worried about what sort of country it is, it's a super secular, non-religious country. It's also probably um, one of the most modern cities in the world. It's, uh, and it has tremendous affinity to Dallas culture. It does. What's that? Well, it's not the cowboys. It's shopping and eating. That's what they're good at. And that's what you're well versed in. So look, we'd love you to be there. International Conference, all of our regions. It's gonna be a fantastic time of recalibrating the future, of celebrating the past and bringing the, the future to bear and for people to see new leaders. It's gonna be wonderful. If you can make it, make it. It's well worth the trip. It's, it's a lovely place to go to. So I'm looking forward to your message, Pastor. That's I've heard same. it three times. Twice. Twice. This is Twice. The, this is the third. Yeah, third's the best. Third's the best. Yeah. It's a great message. You're going to love it. Hallelujah. Come on. Thank you, Pastor Simon. Thank you. Hey, I'm going to do something this morning that I have never done. I got saved in 1983, and I first preached in a church in 1984. And so I've never done this in my whole life. I grew up Methodist, and as a part of every Methodist service, I remember when I was young, they had not only the reading of the Apostles' Creed, but they also had a responsive reading. How many of you grew up with a responsive reading? Yeah. Okay. So I thought to myself, in the same spirit of having a more traditional, um, a more traditional service in our new campus, that I would try my hand at writing and reciting a responsive reading. So you guys get to be the guinea pigs this morning. You ready? Let's all stand together. There's something powerful about, private, uh, about public confession of the Word. It reinforces what we believe, and it declares into the heavenlies where we're coming from. And so it's really, really important. And what we're going to do here is uh, everything in yellow is your response. I'm going to read what's in the white, and you're going to respond with the yellow, okay? So are we ready? Ready to go? Okay, this is my Bible. Okay, stop just for a minute. We need to have a little more enthusiasm. Okay? I mean, look, this is not, you're not on the, you know, bridge over the river quiet. I mean, we, this, is, this is enthusiastically we're proclaiming this. So let's start again. This is my Bible. The grass withers and the flower fades. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never pass away. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So my delight is in the word of God. He gives light to every man who comes into the world. He was in the world, but the world did not know him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We believe in the name of Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. 
Jesus is the word of God. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Come on, give the Lord a hand. You may be seated. I have enough courage to try that again sometimes. We have talked about the call to discipleship. Whether you call yourself a believer, a Christian, a disciple, whatever nomenclature you call yourself, there is but one kind of follower of Jesus. That is a disciple. You may be a believer who's a follower of Jesus. You may be a Christian as a follower of Jesus. You may call yourself a disciple of Jesus as a follower of Jesus. But the point is, is that we follow Jesus. There aren't several different, you know, things you can, it's one thing, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. That is the call to every person. Follow me, he said, and I'll make you fishers of men. There is a cost to discipleship. The cost of discipleship is that, we, is that we deny ourselves, pick up his cross, and follow him. There's a cost to it. Last week, we talked about the conflict that every disciple must win. 1 Peter 5, 8 exhorts us to be sober, to be vigilant. Why? Because we have an enemy, an adversary, the devil. He walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. And so we are in a conflict. You woke up this morning to a war. And following and thinking about that today, I want to talk to you about today another word that also starts with a C, the commitment. The commitment that every disciple lives by. I want to start with a story. I was saved in February of 1983. A friend of mine led me to Christ. I prayed the prayer. But about 10 days later, I had an experience in my bedroom that changed my life forever. It was shortly after that, maybe two or three months later, I was in the oil and gas business, and I had an office in a building called the, uh, called the uh, University Tower. It's still there, believe it or not. It's on the corner of Central Expressway and University Drive. And my office was on the north side of that building, and I had a window that looked straight out to the north. And so I came in from lunch one day, and I sat down at my desk. I was looking out the window, and actually what I was doing is just daydreaming. And uh, just thinking, I, maybe I was thinking about my, the lunch I just had or the person I just talked to, but I was just, at any rate, I was daydreaming. And uh, I was watching right across the street this construction of its building. It's still there today. It's called Energy 2. And so they were building Energy 2 across the street from me, and I was watching them build it. All that was there was the steel structure and uh, the metal workers that were actually welding the structure together, bolting it together, and doing all that stuff. And so I was just daydreaming, watching them out the window. And as I was watching and daydreaming there, the Lord spoke to me. Now, the Lord speaks to me consistently, not every day, not every week, not every month. Most times during a month, I've heard from the Lord, hopefully. But this was one of those moments where you knew something was really up. Because God really, usually he just asked me a question, a question he already knows the answer to. He just wants to see if I know the answer. But in this case, it was a declaration. And it was a pretty wild declaration. And I heard in my spirit as I was looking at that building being constructed, I heard my spirit, that building is not real. And I thought to myself, what do you mean it's not real? 
And I could see myself getting up from my desk, going down the elevator, across the street, standing next to the steel structure and taking my fist and hitting that thing. I said, Lord, if I hit that with my fist, it's going to break my hand. There was a little elevator that went to the top. And I saw, watching the elevator, I said, if I get in that elevator, go up to the top of that steel structure, step out right on the edge and do a swan dive into the street below, there's nothing going to be left but a greasy spot. What do you mean that building is not real? And in that moment, God spoke three scriptures to me. I didn't know they were scriptures at, the moment, at that moment. I hadn't studied them and heard anybody say them, hadn't, but they're still stuck right in me today. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And the last one was John 6, 63. My words, they are spirit and they are life. And in that moment, in that, as quick as those scriptures came to me, my perspective totally changed. I realized that the things that I could see and touch and feel, everything of that was passing away. It was what was in the invisible world that was not passing away. That heaven and earth what I can see is going, but the Word of God, the Word of God stands forever, forever. And that's why I had you do that confession this morning. It was these scriptures that you confessed this morning. You confessed that the things that are temporal are passing away, but the things that are eternal, they will remain forever. It's the old adage, you know, that you never see anyone any dead body headed to the graveyard pulling a U-Haul. You can't take any of that with you. The stuff that we spend so much time thinking about, hoping for, wanting, and then finally getting, only to find out that it didn't scratch the itch you thought it was going to scratch, it's wasted time. And so we've been called to be people of the Word that's what we've been called to be, people of the Word, people who live their life based on God's Word. 2 Corinthians 4.18 from the voice translation. It's another first today, BJ. Never used this translation before. Here's what it says, 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we do not set our sights on the things we can see with our eyes. All of that is fleeting. It will eventually fade away. Instead, we focus on the things we cannot see which will live on and on and on. What are you looking at today? What do you see today? What are you willing to give your life for today? Because all the things that we say in the temporal world that we're willing to do, those things are passing away. They're passing away. Now, in the middle, we have a stewardship of the things that God has given us. But they don't really belong to us. We're just keeping them for the next generation, right? And we have a choice to give away some of it while we're alive. But all the stuff that you're leaving to your kids, here's the truth. Most of them don't want all that junk you got anyway. Can I, can I digress for one moment? Nancy and I got married. My dad built a walnut bed four-poster bed for me and Nancy when we were first married, our first year of marriage. 
He cut the tree down from our farm, sawed it into lumber, kilned it, shaped it, glued it together, nailed it together, screwed it together, delivered it to my home, and it's been our bed since we've lived, we've had that bed since I, I think our first year of marriage. We've been married 39 years, 38 years we've had, right? It's a little battle scarred. It needs a little bit of help. But I started thinking about passing this on to one of my children, which neither of them are here today. <laughs> but I have encouraged them that you too could be the owner of this bed. <laughs> and both of them are very positive when they looked at me and heard me and uh, said, let me check with my wife or let me check with my husband. And you know what? They're still checking with their wife and checking with their husband. Because as sentimental as that bed is, and we're very, Nancy and I are very sentimental about it, we're pretty sick of it. And we want to give somebody else the opportunity to be sentimental about it for a while. Now, here's the, here's the ace I have in the hole. Ready? They may not want it when I'm living, but when I die, they're going to get it. They're going to get it because you can't take it with you. And so, whatever it is that you have that you can't give away today, you don't own it. It owns you. It owns you. And so, it's not like I can take apart the bed and put it in the garage. I can't. It's not, you know, I don't have anybody who wants to, you know, save it for me or put it away. I promise you, it's just all to get out of the house, right? But I'm determined that that bed's not going to own me that I can decide I want to buy another bed anytime I want to. I just hadn't made that decision at this point because it has a sentimental value, right? Okay, back on the subject. Would you tell me to stay to the text? Yeah. Stay on script, right. Matthew chapter 4. Brought your Bible, Matthew chapter 4. This is the temptation of Jesus. Remember what I said to you a few minutes ago, every attack of the enemy is to attack the Word is to attack the word in your life, to rob you of the eternal and to get you focused on the temporal, to rob you of the eternal reward of endurance, to get you focused on the momentary tiredness you feel, on the momentary disappointment that you have, on the momentary feelings that you've got. In Matthew chapter 4, remember, Jesus has just come out of the wilderness where John the Baptist baptized him. He came up out of the water. The Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, the voice of God his Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the next big event that happens is right here. So he's just been baptized right here in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here's the first thing you can know from this is not every temptation and every trial that you go through, not every bit of it is from the devil. Sometimes it is the Spirit of God that leads you into the wilderness. Not every time, but sometimes. Because there's something out there in the wilderness that you have to overcome in order to step to the next level in your relationship with God. And so it was the Spirit of God that led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
Verse 2, and when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. So Jesus was in a physically weakened state. He felt hungry. It's a feeling. He felt hungry. And it's in that moment that you become most vulnerable to making a life-altering decision based on your feelings and not on your convictions. See, the devil never comes and tempts you with food when you're full. He only tempts you with food when you're empty and when you're hungry. And so, after 40 days of fasting and prayer, Jesus felt hungry, right? And it's in that moment that not only was he at his weakest, but he was also at his strongest, having denied the flesh for 40 days and 40 nights. And verse 3 says, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Act on your feelings if you're the Son of God. Act on them. This is the first, not temptation, this is the first of three. There's going to be three in a row. And many times, God, uh, uh, the devil comes and tempts us in multiple fronts in a series of things. And so here, this is the first of the three temptations. It is the temptation to use your power for your own benefit. John calls it the lust of the flesh, that you see it and you want the feeling that it gives you of satisfaction, that you were hungry for something and you, now you've executed on that and now you will be satisfied. But how many of you know you come off a fast, you eat something, you're not satisfied for the rest of your life. In fact, it's within just a few hours, you're hungry again. The attack, first and foremost, was on his identity. He said, if you are the Son of God, well, of course he is the Son of God. He just heard God in an audible voice from the heavens say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this is one of the schemes of the devil to always pick at who you are, what your identity is. And so... If he can pick in your confidence away, pull your confidence away of being a child of God, then you begin to think that you are on the outside looking in, that if God really loved me, then God would do this for me, or God would do that for me, or God would help me in this, or God would help me in that. His objective is to isolate you so he can rob from you, steal from you, destroy your life, murder you. He hates you. But by calling attention to and, and, and pulling away, trying to pull away from him, if you are the son of God, then you have power to turn these rocks into bread. Another way of saying this is you've got the power to satisfy every pleasure that you desire. So use it. Verse 4 says, but Jesus answered and said, it is written. He's not responding based on his feelings or his reasoning ability, his rationale. He's responding based on what the Bible already says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus' power was not about him. He's quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 8, right? 
And so Deuteronomy chapter 8, the first eight chapters of Deuteronomy are really about the, pre, about the preoccupation of the promised land and what the children of Israel needed to do to prepare themselves to occupy the land. And so the devil's trying to steal now the fact that Jesus has come to take back stewardship, not just of the land, but of the promises of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Paul writes to Timothy and says, now, Timothy, there are some among us that are those who suppose that godliness is a, mean to great, is a means to great gain. If so, withdraw yourself from them. In other words, there are some people that see that they're hungry and see that they could use God's power, manipulate it to get what they want to satisfy them, and that it's all about them, their needs, their wants, what God can do for them, what they can do for themselves, and how they can satisfy their wants, their needs, and desires. They don't have to wait on God to satisfy them. They can satisfy themselves. And there's some among us, even today among us, that see godliness as a means to great gain. They can manipulate and dominate and somehow get the spirit and the idea that the power of God is for me to execute on my agenda, on my time, my way. Paul says, stay away from those people. Withdraw yourself from them. They got the word. They just have the wrong motive. You don't want to get infected with that motive. So Jesus said, it's written. Not going to live by bread alone, <clears throat> but by every, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In this very moment, God is speaking. I know he spoke, because this is what, what my title on this is, the word of God. I know he's already spoke. In most, no, many Christians think that's good enough. He spoke. But you see, we don't live our life by a cookbook. We live our life by a relationship that's current in the now, where God is present and we are present with him. And so, therefore, we have to hear his voice. My sheep, they hear my voice. They follow me. We have to be able to hear his voice. But secondly, secondly, we're listening for what he's currently saying. And whatever God is currently saying to you will never, ever contradict what he has historically said to all of us. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. God is speaking. We live by what he's saying. We never contradict what he's saying based on what he's already said. We're pleasing him not merely by following what Jesus said, but by living by every word that he's currently saying. Verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. This is the second temptation. It is the temptation for fame. The holy temple in Jerusalem was by far and away the highest and most grand of all the architecture in Jerusalem. It was phenomenal, phenomenal building. It was a wonder of the world. 
And the devil says, you know what I'd like to do is take you to the very top of this thing so that everyone could see you would be very famous because everyone could see you there at the, at the peak, at the top of the pinnacle. And so he took him up there. He set him on the pinnacle. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, notice that language. If you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. And now the devil thinks, okay, I got him exactly where I want him. For it is written, this is the devil saying that, Psalm 91, 11 through 12, the devil is not beyond twisting the word of God in such a way that it serves his agenda and not the Lord's agenda. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in, his, in their hands he shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. So he's taking these scripture passages, these verses from Psalm 91, He's taking them out of context, out of context. He's flipping them and twisting them around. He's feeding them back to Jesus. And this is one of the schemes of the devil, to twist God's word so that the motive for doing God's word is not God's agenda. The motive for doing is me, my feelings, my agenda, what I want, what I need, when I want it, where I want it, and how I want it. It's the Word. You can say, well, I'm, I'm just living by the Word, brother. You got the Word, no question about it. The problem is you got a bad spirit behind that Word, a demonic spirit, a devilish spirit. Because Jesus already said, if you're going to follow him, you got to deny yourself. But when we get the Word in our lives and we begin to see how powerful quoting God's Word is, all we have to do is just twist it just a little where it's not about him, it's all about me. And that's what the devil's trying to get Jesus to do here. Don't you see? He's going to give his angels charge over you. They're going to bear you up. They're going to keep you from dashing to the ground. You jump off the temple. And Jesus said to him, it is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'd be honest with you. I didn't really know for a long time what that meant. How do you tempt God? Other versions say you should not test the Lord your God. But this is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, which he's quoting, and you find out that there's a little more to the Scripture than just you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The rest of the Scripture says, do not put the Lord your God to the test, he says, as you did at Massa. What happened at Massa? The children of Israel were slaves in bondage, making bricks without, without straw in Egypt, and they came through the Red Sea. They entered into the wilderness. They hit around a big, big day where they marched all day long, just far enough to get to a place where their water and their provisions were almost gone. And they get there, and they're thirsty. They're out in the middle of the desert, and they start complaining. You know, at least back when we made bricks, we had water, and Pharaoh kept us alive. But God and Moses had brought us out here to the wilderness to kill us from thirst. If God really loved us, we demand he bring us some water. Now, I don't know how many of you got kids, but if your kid talked to you like this, there's going to be a meltdown in the house. It's not going to be you, right? And so 
this passage refers back to that incident. That incident where the Israelis complained and they questioned God's provision. They demanded that God prove himself by providing water for them. And to not tempt the Lord your God means to have faith and trust in his promises without putting demands and tests on him. It means that you're going to be content with what he has already provided you. That you're going to be patient in waiting for his timing and what he's about to provide for you. So when we tempt God, we essentially, we challenge his goodness. We challenge his authority. We challenge his sovereignty. We doubt his power. We doubt his provision. And ultimately, we find ourselves in a broken relationship with God because God doesn't perform on demand. Take a... If you, if you Twitter, tweet that. God does not perform on demand. I know it's X now. God doesn't perform on demand. And when you try to get him to, you test him. And that doesn't go over so well with God. So for the third temptation, verse 8, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And here's what he said to him. All these things I'll give you if you just do one little simple thing. If you bow down and worship me. No big deal. Give you all the earth, all the glory. Now, here's the problem. He didn't own the earth to give it to him. He's a liar. And all he speaks are lies. So if the devil speaks to you, you can count on being a lie. He's a liar. You see, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's. And all the fullness thereof and all the people who dwell therein, it belongs to God. The first Adam in the garden lost the stewardship of the garden. He lost the stewardship of the earth. So that the last Adam, Jesus, came, and he won back the stewardship of the earth. And so the last Adam, Jesus, is having a conversation with the tempter over something that Jesus already knows is his mission and purpose to do. He just has to wait on the timing of God the Father and endure the things that must be endured in order to get to the moment that he was created for. So in that moment, here's what he says. Jesus said, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him you shall serve. Jesus refused to worship the devil in exchange for worldly gain. Above everything else, he was focused, resolved to make his relationship with God, his father, the highest and greatest priority of his life. And what rationale would he ever use to exchange the eternal treasure he possessed for the temporary treasure of worldly gain? Nobody has a trailer attached to the hearse that's taken him to the grave. You can't take it with you. Verse 11, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. 
when you resist the devil, here's the promise. He's eventually going to flee. But you begin to do what Jesus did and speak that word right back to him, you're going to see him move a whole lot faster, a whole lot faster out of your life. You cannot make life decisions based on how you feel at the moment, based on what you think at the moment. Because it's in that moment that you're vulnerable to making decisions that have consequences for the rest of your life that you may wish one day you never made that decision in the first place. That's why we need each other. There are other reasons. But the main reason is that right there, so that we encourage each other to not just live by bread alone, by what our needs are, by what our wants are, by what our feelings are, but that we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What is he saying right now? That we be patient and wait upon his provision. That we be encouraged that he's good. That we trust in the sovereignty of God. That means that when it doesn't turn out like we dreamed that it would, expected that we would, hoped that it would, that we still love God. We're not damaged beyond repair. It hurts because I always thought I'd get that. But now I have this. And that's awesome. It's awesome. When we resist the devil, he will eventually flee. And Jesus was able to overcome every temptation of the enemy because he knew who he was. Very, very important for disciples. We've got to know who we are. He knew his purpose. Our purpose is to follow Jesus. He knew his mission is everything that proceeds from God's mouth. And they resolved, a resolve to live by every word of God. I think it's interesting to note that the Bible says that when all of the temptations finished, angels came and ministered to him refreshed him. And Jesus came out of the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights stronger. He was empowered and he was ready for the next three and a half years of earthly ministry. He would top off what he got that day many, many times, going to the mountain alone, going to the prayer alone. He'd top it off. But he, that day, he filled his tank. How did he fill it? By overcoming the enemy, by overcoming every twisted scheme that the enemy had, and by strengthening his resolve to live by every word that his father was saying. Jesus' victory in the wilderness encourages us to do a few things. Number one, to stand strong in our faith, trusting in God. You probably hear some here today that. You've been trusting God for something maybe for a very long time. Been out there in the wilderness. You get a little weary, a little tired. You get really vulnerable out there to making bad decisions. Come in closer to the body. Open up your heart to someone who can pray with you and pray for you. Don't do this alone. Do it with someone. Stand strong in your faith by standing together. Right? Two, we want to press deeply into our relationship with God, honoring Him with our lives, our finances, our resources, 
our mission, our ministries. We're going to stand firm against every scheme of the enemy. And first and foremost, as a disciple of Jesus, which is what you are, we live by every word we hear God saying today because we're close to him. You know, when you have your head on his chest, you can hear his heartbeat. And that place is not just room for one person. There's room there for anyone who wants to come near. I want to just proclaim over you prophetically today that you are a child of God. That you are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. That you have a purpose. That God has a plan for your life. And there'll be times when you're feeling bewildered, times when you're feeling left behind, times when you're feeling like you're on the outside looking in. But let me tell you something. Those feelings don't last but God's word stands forever. So you are of the tribe that reads God's word, that meditates on God's word, that believes God's word, and that obeys God's word, knowing that if you will obey, your, your feelings will come in line with God's word. We're not trying to get God's word to come in line with our feelings. We're moving us and our feelings closer to him so we can hear his heart, walk in his ways, and do his will. Let's all stand together. Every word, every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Pastor Matthew, come on. That's a fantastic word for us. Thank you so much, Pastor Joe. This message and all of these messages in the series are available on our YouTube channel. So if you miss any of the messages, I wanna encourage you to go back and get caught up so you don't miss out on what God is speaking to our local church family. Well, are you glad you came to church today? We are so glad you joined us in person. And for those of you who are watching with us online, we're thrilled to have you with us. Remember to take our worship guide with you. This is updated week to week. It's got all the links and the dates and the important details on the things that we prepared for you as a disciple to grow in your walk with the Lord. So make sure you take this with you and review it for what matters in your life. This time, I'd like to invite our ministry leaders up to the front, some of our staff members, our small group leaders. We wanna make ourselves available to pray for you in person before you leave today. Some of you are in a tough spot. You need a word of encouragement. You need a prophetic word. You need someone to lay hands on you and pray for you. Our ministry leaders and small group leaders will be at the front at the end of the service to pray for you. Don't leave without getting someone to join with you in prayer. And with that said, we hope to see you at a small group later this week. Have a wonderful Sunday. The Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine on you and give you peace in this world and in the world to come. We'll see you later this week, everybody. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community, as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas. God bless.